The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a special edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and on this episode, we kick off the Sox Machine Offseason Plan Project. Yes, it's our favorite time of the year in which you get to be the Chicago White Sox general manager, deciding who gets tendered or non-tendered, maybe who you sign to a contract extension, or possibly trade away to help improve the 2022 Chicago White Sox chances of winning the American League pennant. This is always a fun activity because people go in so many different directions with their offseason plans. What complicates matters this time is the CBA expires at 10.59 p.m. Central Time on December 1st. If there is no agreement on a new CBA, the Major League Baseball will shortly fall into a lockout, which halts all baseball activity. With that in mind, and to help assist you with your offseason plan preparations, This episode will walk you through the difficult decisions one has to make for the White Sox this offseason and how to keep it closer to as realistic as possible for your pending moves. Joining me to help assist is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. It's offseason plan project season. It is. And you you mentioned all the... Uh, potential turmoil after the season with the expiration of the CBA. And to me, like it is a big deal and potentially could upend a lot of the ways we currently project payrolls and player compensation and player progression for younger players and so on and so forth. But I think I'm inclined to just have this in a beautiful little bubble to where we uh, treat the off-season plan project the way we have in previous years because dramatic departure from previous years, the White Sox have won 90 games. They've gotten their 26-man roster to that level. Now it's just a matter of getting them to the next level. They've gone from A to B. Now they need to go from B to C. 
And regardless of what happens with the CBA and, and what happens uh, you know, with player compensation, free agent compensation, all that sort of things, like it shouldn't change too much, I don't think, the overall goal of just optimizing the roster for from going from like AL Central favorites or co-favorites to World Series favorites, or at least like real threats. So let's talk about the format of this year's plan project. And how are you laying it out this offseason, Jim, for those participating? Well, uh, the traditional format, this kind of feels like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen the Great British Baking Show, <laughs> but... This feels like the technical challenge, like when uh, the, the second challenge, when they given them a traditional uh, baked good to produce and they give them a set of instructions that are pretty vague, uh, but they expect something very precise at the end. And then uh, Paul and Prue, they go into the uh, different tents where all these immaculately made pastries or breads are there and they explain what goes into making them and what bakers have to consider and where it could go wrong. <laughs> I think that's what kind of what we're doing here. Uh, I'll be Prue. You can be Paul. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's basically like just, uh, especially I would say this year is less complicated than last year's because last year we didn't know who was going to be the White Sox manager and the White Sox pitching coach. So we had two extra fields and I suppose <laughs> given that Rick Hahn, uh, at least when we're recording this has not, uh, announced coaching staff changes or departures that maybe there's a chance that we might have to make a late adaptation and put in like a key coaching spot. Like, I don't think I'm going to say like third base coach. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to, you know, put that in the field, but when it comes to the hitting coach, uh, perhaps, cause we did uh, have pitching coaches a field last year. And some people did suggest Ethan Katz. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, it's a potential addition, but otherwise it'll be following the traditional format where you have to, deal with, you know, impending free agents, you know, whether or not to extend them a qualifying offer, you have contract options, um, you know, club options to deal with, you have uh, arbitration figures, whether or not to tender a contract to players or not. And then you have uh, at the end, uh, trade targets and free agent targets. And ultimately, at the end, you come up with a 26 man roster. And the challenging part to me, and I go back and forth with this, is setting the payroll and trying to balance what I think the White Sox payroll should be, which should be like as much money as they can possibly spend <laughs> for fans, as far as we're concerned, and also like what it will be. That's the one area where uh, when it comes to like the offseason plan project, I try to emphasize that this is what you think the White Sox should do, not what the White Sox will do. Like you shouldn't try to guess it down to the move because like people might say Adam Eaton, you know, last year for thinking what the White Sox should do. And that's kind of a lousy plan. And, you know, it's not fun. It's uh, limited in imagination. And so I like just seeing like the ideas because, you know, what the White Sox might not do is something like the Rays might do, or like, you know, one of the you know more transactional teams in baseball. Like you saw the moves the Braves made at the deadline, like what the Braves might do. Uh, so that's kind of what I have in mind. Like, how would you like to see the White Sox run? How would you do it? What kind of open-mindedness would you like to see them adopt? Um, but when it comes to like setting the salary, uh, the, the payroll cap, that's where I, I think I try to introduce what the White Sox should do or what the White Sox will do. I try to factor that in. So when it comes to the White Sox payroll, I'm setting it this year at 170 million. And what are your initial reactions to that? 
that everyone is going to be having to make some very difficult decisions. But does it sound, how does it sound? If you had to say too high, too low, just right over under. I think it's right. This is me and lifelong White Sox fan. I might die of a heart attack if the White Sox carry a $170 million payroll into 2022, Jim. Uh, because that's definitely going to be in the top 15 in the top half. That might be good enough for bottom of the top 10 Mm -hmm. in Major League Baseball, something that we have been clamoring for, right, as a fan base. We are the Chicago White Sox, right? And I really shouldn't say we, but for White Sox fans, we are White Sox fans. The team resides in a major market. Act like a major market. Don't act like the Milwaukee Brewers, okay? You should be able to spend some money. And a $170 million payroll is serious. That That's a lot of coin. Now, I say this, and before I get into the nitty-gritty and we go through arbitration and everything, and, you know, I still have some holes in the roster. Mm-hmm. But before I start getting into trades and free agent signings and, and trying to patch roster spots... I'm at like 147 million and I haven't even made a decision on Carlos Erdan mm-hmm. or Craig Kimbrell. And if you bring those guys back, well, you might be looking at 34 million. Well, there we go. I'm already over. Uh, so that's where when you say 170 million, that's great because that's the highest it's ever been in our fandom and covering the Chicago White Sox. Uh, as will be our ninth podcast season coming up. But $170 million and where the White Sox are entering 2022, and we'll get into this on who's getting salary increases that are complicating matters, it's not a lot of wiggle room for Rick Hahn with that type of payroll budget. And it's because that the team already is coming in at a significant amount of payroll that they've ever faced before. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, I came up with 170 million because it is the it would be good for the 10th highest payroll, which I think is a good you know top 10 is a good target to have in mind. Also, when it comes to the payroll, like I always allow for like a soft breach of the cap. Like if you went to 175 million and had a reason for it, you know I think that's fine. You know one because like ownership can sometimes spend more than it wants to if it's uh, you know the situation is perfect for it. Also, you never know like what kind of salary, you know, kind of um, number shifting they can do to get the, you know, payroll for 2022 down to a certain amount. So whether that's like paying somebody to leave, whether that's, you know, kind of uh, backloading a contract, like you can, there are ways to massage, I think $5 million. I think like, you know, people might say, then why don't you set to 175 million? And it's like, well, then it goes to 180 and that feels like a little bit of a reach to say that the White Sox would go that high. So 170 feels appropriate. It does require some hard decisions, but it feels like the White Sox don't have to add that much salary. Like, you know, say like if they end up around that 145 million uh, after making tough decisions, like, you know, letting Craig Kimbrell go, letting, you know, Carlos Rodon go, um, et cetera. Like it feels like they can get to that number without any hard decisions. So it feels like they can add a certain amount of money and be in pretty good shape because they, you know, all the impact players are there. Just a matter of like whether the White Sox want to move an impact player to try to acquire a different kind of impact player. 
and maybe, you know, knock the payroll down just a little bit. So that's why I think that, you know, it's not so much about adding raw cash to the payroll this year as, as much about like potentially finding different ways to optimize the way that money's being spent. And you can be creative in the contracts, right? Liam Hendricks signed for that $54 million contract over three years, but he only got paid $11 million last year to fit whatever Rick Hahn's budget ended up being um, before the 2021 season. So I, in this exercise, for your free agent signings, keep that in mind. If you're trying to stay at $170 million, there have been contracts signed by players where they don't make as much money in the first season. Uh, however, there are significant pay raises uh, for the following two seasons uh, to, to make up that difference in the first year uh, of trying to meet the $170 million budget for the White Sox. And I, I do think it's a realistic bu budget, Jim. So that's a good number. Uh, so... Let's start with uh, let's let's start going through the decisions that everyone's going to have to make in the offseason plan project. We're going to start with the arbitration eligible players and these salaries are coming from MLB trade rumors, which they do a terrific job where their arbitration estimates and essentially you're writing tender, non-tender, or this is always a great opportunity for you as acting as the White Sox general manager to pitch an idea of extending a player's contract. But the arbitration eligible players for the White Sox, and I'm going to start at the bottom and go to the top here. You got Jace Fry, you got Jimmy Cordero, who should be healthy to pitch for the White Sox next season out of the bullpen. You got Brian Goodwin, you got Adam Engel, Evan Marshall, which he's going to miss all of 2022, so keep that in mind. You got Ronaldo Lopez and the big guy, the big fish out of the arbitration-eligible players, Lucas Giolito. Out of those seven players that are arbitration-eligible, Jim, where do you think the difficult decisions are going to be for those that participate in the off-season plan project? I think Jimmy Cordero is the one I'm most interested in seeing where the consensus is because I think you can build an argument both ways. Uh, he's projected to make $1.2 million, but with relievers like him, uh, there's always a chance that it could be less. Like it could be like 900000 or something like that. You know, sometimes when it comes to relievers with short track records coming off injuries, the projections can run high. So when it comes to Cordero, like, will people remember the very good reliever, the very useful reliever he was uh, in his first year at the White Sox, or will they remember him as the guy that Rick Renteria overused? <laughs> and uh, I, I think the guy he was in his first year, very much worth $1 million or so. The guy Renteria ran to the ground, not so much. So I'm curious to see like where fans are now that there's some separation between Cordero and how he was used and everybody knew he was being misused. I'm interested to see how people are going to weigh Adam Engel and Brian Goodwin. So again, as far as budget, I think a lot of folks are going to have around 25 to $30 million to, to play around with. And we'll get into this more later about the roster areas that we think need to be addressed this offseason by the White Sox. But here, maybe because they are so cheap and of those that want to save money in right field, 
and spend it on other roster spots or on other players as free agency. I think you can look at it and say for about $4 million, I can go run with a platoon situation right field with Adam Engel and Brian Goodwin because they're cheap. You don't know if they're going to be healthy all year and there's going to be gaps in production as far as quality production between the two, but they are cheap for right field if you wanted to go in that direction. Uh, so I'm interested to see on on what everybody does with Adam Engel and Brian Goodwin if we see a lot of those options in right field for offseason plans. Uh, Evan Marshall, how are you feeling about the White Sox tendering a contract to Marshall knowing that he won't be able to pitch for them in 2022? It seems like a guy they would non-tender but then try to sign for a lesser amount. Yeah, yeah, like some type of... I don't know, backroom agreement of we're going to pay you 750000 in 2022 and then pay you $2.5 million if you prove that you're healthy uh, in 2023 and you can pitch for us. That's kind of what I'm, I'm feeling here. Yeah, I think it's like Zach Putnam had a similar situation and the White Sox non-tendered him or they let him go and then they brought him back in a... Uh, spring training non-roster invite, and he didn't quite prove healthy enough, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly. Okay. Uh, and then there's Lucas Giolito. Very popular. Even I pitched the idea of signing Lucas Giolito to a contract extension. Uh, thanks to our friends from the 108 who, during the pandemic, uh, had their 108 day on January 8th, 2020. We both got an opportunity to participate in that gym and Rick Giolito was able to join. And I thought you asked an excellent question to Rick about Lucas and signing with the Washington nationals with like 30 seconds left to go before the deadline for draftees to sign. And he was really close to going to UCLA and pitch for the Bruins there. Uh, before eventually signing with the Washington Nationals. But Giolito clearly knows his worth. So if Sox Machine listeners and followers wanted to go down that path again on trying to think of a contract extension for Lucas Giolito, what should they be mindful of? They should be mindful of the idea that it seems like team-friendly, if it feels team-friendly, it isn't enough. Like, if you like it, <laughs> it probably isn't enough. There should be a little bit of pain involved, I think, in order to meet his price. Yeah, I think, I mean, if he was a free agent right now, let's say after the 2021 season, that was the last year of control for the White Sox, and Lucas Giolito was a free agent right now, what do you think he would sign for? The Patrick Corbin deal comes to mind. Patrick Corbin, okay. Like six for 140? Is that what he signed for? Oh, man, that's yeah. not a good deal for Washington. Or it hasn't been a good deal for Washington due to injuries. It doesn't feel like he's at that $200 million tier. But 6 for 140 is kind of where it felt like right you know, starting at, at the very least. See, I was thinking like Zach Wheeler. But do you think he can get more than Wheeler did? Well, it's like 5 for 118. Is that what Wheeler signed for? Yeah. 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 That's about the same. It's that's more or less, you know, give or take a year. But I think we're in the same ballpark. One number that I had in my head was like five for one twenty-five, paying him more than Zach Wheeler, even though Wheeler pitched better than Giolito in two thousand twenty-one. We know that Giolito has potential to be an impact starting pitcher, very much like Zach Wheeler. 
So if we think that Giolito, if he was a free agent today, let's say the average annual value of his deal would be $25 million a season. How do you try to incorporate the fact that the White Sox do not only have this season, but also next season, an arbitration, and arbitration helps the teams keep salaries low? Like, how do you build into that factor as far as these last two years of arbitration and then try to determine how much longer you want to keep Lucas Giolito in a White Sox uniform? I think that's where you can see some creative accounting based on what the White Sox want to do with their 2022 and 23 rosters. You know, given that he won't be, you know, Giolito wouldn't be on the open market for either year. And he's, you know, the projection has him making 8 million this year. Like, let's say he has like a Cy Young finalist season like top 10 Cy Young finalist season probably making 15 million I'm thinking his last arbitration year just off the top of my head so right now you're looking at like 23 million over two years if you really like what he's doing so when it comes to the you know, money you're trying to work around like it could possibly be like if you feel like you can absorb some more money early on maybe you say like okay I'll pay you 27 million, 30 million over those two years up front, but then have a more graceful entry into those free agent years you're buying out. Like say like, okay, we'll only pay you 18 million the first free agent year when you would be making 25 maybe on the open market, but then go up to 22 and then 25 and then 27, like a club option or something like that. Like, you know, get up there at the end. And so you're paying a little bit more up front, but saving more in the middle of years if you're trying to say make some room for other players who are making money through arbitration. On the other hand, you can say, uh, you'll perhaps try to sign them for less early on, like with maybe a signing bonus, you know, maybe just like a lump sum up front to make up some of the money that he's not earning in salary. And then you'll have a more traditional pay bump the last years, the years you're buying out of free agency. So there are a couple ways to shake, shape it. But really, I think when it comes to like the final years of the deal like i would say like say it's you're buying out three years of free agency like you should really be looking at like what would he make on the open market or close to it like maybe i don't know 80 percent, 85 percent of what he'd be making on the open market like say if you think like he'd be making 25 to 30 maybe you could get him for 22 uh to 25 like just in, in that range uh because what you're get you know, you're basically what he's forsaking or foregoing in maxing out his value he's getting uncertainty so there is a little bit of savings to be had if you extend him at this stage but not too much so i, I think in order to have a, a contract that fits his value i think you'd have to approach his market value in the last like two or three years of that deal the number that comes into as far as the contract after this conversation is seven years 150 million for me paying giolito 12 and a half million over the next two seasons uh to kind of protect the White Sox uh, for his final arbitration year. If he does have an excellent 2022 season and you want that from a White Sox perspective, you want Lucas Giolito to win the American League Cy Young and you go into arbitration and they're throwing down that $15 million uh, total. So pay him $12.5 million over the next two seasons. That's going to be a pay increase for him in 2022. And then the five seasons after his ARB years would be $25 million per season. That That's what I would pitch to Lucas Giolito and his representatives to, to keep him in a White Sox uniform long term. Do you think that's unreasonable? Do you think that's low? I think it's pretty close. Just I think a matter of if, you know, Giolito wants to go seven years or not. 
you know, perhaps like if he feels like he waits one more year, he could get more uh, in terms of an AAV. So, but I think that's at least that that's pretty close. I, I think where he'd have to take it seriously. All right. Well, it'd be great to see how many go back to that well again. Cause again, it was very popular last year. Everyone was trying to think of ideas on how to keep Lucas Giolito long-term on the South side. Uh, obviously that didn't come to fruition. We don't know if there's been any talks between Giolito and the White Sox keeping him there long-term, but the White Sox only have two more seasons of control of Lucas Giolito. So if they don't get something done soon, it's going to continue to be a talking point in 2022 and definitely in 2023. Let's move into the club options. The White Sox only have two club options here. And for everyone that's participating, you're either going to pick up, decline, or rework uh, the option. The two players that have club options are two of the midseason acquisitions. That's Craig Kimbrell and Cesar Hernandez. Kimbrell's option is for $16 million, and shout out to Ted, uh, who did correct me on our midseason acquisition podcast episode. Kimbrell needed to finish 53 games, not appear in 53 games, to get that additional million-dollar buyout. So it's just a $1 million buyout for Kimbrell. So if you decline his club option, you are buying out Kimbrell for $1 million that you would have to add to your payroll budget. And then Cesar Hernandez's option is for $6 million. And interesting enough, there is no buyout. So you can let Cesar Hernandez go at no cost. And this is where I'm really curious on how White Sox fans are going to handle this, Jim. Especially with Craig Kimball. And we talked about it a lot in the midseason acquisitions uh, podcast review for Kimball. How do you think... Or I guess, what are you expecting to see from off-season plan projects on handling Kimbrel? I think you're going to see the gamuts because I think some people will just want to say, like, based on the way he pitched last year, that he has no value. The, the the risk in taking $16 million on is not worth, like, the risk of having to pay him, like, an extra, I don't know, like, $4 million to go away. Like, just it might not be money well spent and they'd rather just for the sake of simplifying their accounting and reducing the risk of just having a dud on your hands, uh, saying like, I just rather have the cash. I'd rather have the payroll space and not have to worry about finding a deal. On the other hand, like some people just might be, they might want to go nuts with either bad contract swaps, or you might see a range of how much Kimbrel, uh, how much appeal Kimbrel has. Like some people might think you only have to, you know, pitch in a million. Some people might think you'd have to pay like three quarters of a salary to get something interesting back. Some people might think uh, he can find a taker full freight. So I, I think you're going to see the gamut in terms of just how excited people are about Kimbrel, how tired people are about Kimbrel, and just how they project their own attitudes in terms of like how other teams will interpret his performance and what he has left. Yes, I do agree with you. I, I think we're to see a lot of trade ideas for Craig Kimbrel. I am interested on how many people are just going to buy out Kimbrel because it's just $1 million and make Kimbrel a free agent and pretty much pay him a million dollars to go away. And then, yes, that trade looks a lot worse <laughs> for the White Sox. Well, it depends on how Nick Magical and Cody Hoyer perform for the Chicago Cubs in future seasons. Uh, but yeah, that trade 
doesn't look great if you're going with the $1 million buyout option. I'm also curious to know on how many offseason plan projects are going to keep Craig Kimbrell and have Kimbrell part of the bullpen and see if he can perform better next season. Cesar Hernandez, I think we're going to see a lot of offseason plans, Jim, that let Cesar Hernandez go. But I could see a good argument made that because of the payroll budget of $170 million and it's just $6 million, I'm interested in how many people's minds change and keep Hernandez because he is cheap. Yeah, I'm anticipating second base probably having the widest variety of starters. Yes. <laughs> yes, we'll get into one of those ideas uh, <laughs> in a moment here as far as free agent targets for the White Sox. But yeah, second base is going to have a wide range of who will be playing there in these uh, mocked up 2022 rosters. Then there are the other impending free agents. They don't have club options, so they are unrestricted free agents after the World Series concludes. I think it's like five or six days after the World Series concludes. Uh, that they're officially free agents. Uh, these are the four players you could also extend qualifying offers to for one year, $18.4 million. And the impending free agents are, of course, Carlos Rodon, uh, which we, if you didn't listen to the player review podcast, we talked about the possibilities of Carlos Rodon and the qualifying offer on that episode. Louis Garcia, Billy Hamilton, and Ryan Tapera. So out of Garcia, Hamilton, and Tapera, what interests you on looking forward to with the offseason plans, Jim? Will anybody extend the qualifying offer to Billy Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> and Billy Hamilton would accept it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Garcia will be in a lot of plans or out of a lot of plans. I think, uh, you know, talking about Jimmy Cordero and how, uh, Rick Renteria overused him and whether that will be held against him. Like same thing with Garcia. Like there's a good argument for having Garcia on the roster, but having seen Garcia be the main corner outfielder in two cons consecutive postseason appearances when it wasn't the best idea, will people just want to have Garcia out of the mix entirely to not have it be a case where the White Sox see him as a feasible outfield starter come postseason time that's I think the he's another guy who I think just there are a lot of uses for him in a, an equally strong case that uh, the White Sox are better off not having the temptation of having him on the roster and being theoretically capable at so many positions that maybe the White Sox don't try hard enough to fix one that's especially in need I am planning on trying to figure out how to bring Ryan Tapera back uh, as you'll have it in parentheses uh, in the format on SoxMachine.com. Tapera only made $950,000 in 2021. After incentives. After his incentives. And I, I don't see him being a 10 plus billion dollar reliever. So I think he could be affordable. I'm curious on how many of the offseason plan projects because of how well he pitched with the White Sox, how many of those plans bring Tapera back in 2022, Jim? Yeah, I think, you know, um, you know, aside from his comments about the Astros, which may or may not have been uh, advisable, I think otherwise he did basically everything you want to see from him. So, you know, when it comes to the White Sox and relievers, uh, Kelvin Herrera comes to mind, like if he's working for you, you may as well try versus, 
importing somebody else you don't know and perhaps like the injuries you don't know about or what have you into the mix, especially when you're not paying top of market like they did with like Liam Hendricks last year. When you're trying to pay that second tier of relievers, the White Sox don't necessarily have the greatest track record in that case, so may as well stick with what works. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so that's the decisions that you have to make on the current roster for the White Sox, the arbitration-eligible players, the club options, and other impending free agents. So now you're going to the good part, the very fun part, drawing up trade ideas and going after free agents in the open market. Again, the CBA expires on December 1st, so it'll be interesting to see on just how active teams are You know, which of the GMs are trying to beat the rush and try to sign guys before the CBA expires or how strong and united is the Players Association? Do all the players just have an agreement behind closed doors that no one is signing a free agent deal until there's a new CBA? We don't know yet. So that's what makes this really interesting between now and December 1st, if a new CBA gets done or not. But let's talk about shopping lists because the shopping list is going to determine how you fill in the roster holes, whether it's trades or free agents. So, Jim, what's on your White Sox shopping list to make this team better for 2022? Well, it seems like, you know, the the common theme winter to winter is right field. 
And now you have second base. You have <laughs> DH. Like, I would say, like, more bats than spots. That's what I urged last year. Not having Andrew Vaughn in any plan A at any position. Having him have to force the issue, be like an emergency break glass in in uh, in, in that kind of situation. Instead, he was plan A at DH, and then became plan A in left field. And I think he did as well as he could. But uh, the flaws in that plan were evident. So I would like to see the White Sox, you know, be aggressive in solving uh, outfield and DH, even if it feels like they might be blocking a an Andrew Vaughn or a Gavin Sheets, just because uh, there's always a need for more. Uh, there's always a need for a 10th bat, uh, just like there's always a need for a sixth starter. So there's that. And I, I think, uh, you know, as we talked about and as it... Uh, we talked about like the idea of trading Elo Jimenez and on Twitter, Pinholes pitched the idea of trading Andrew Vaughn and uh, a lot of people for it, a lot of people very much against it. And uh, one, I guess one thing I'm curious about when it comes to the CBA, like, and, and this is something I don't think you can project into the off season plan project, but say like free agency becomes age-based and whether there's a cutoff for like, you know, whether some players are grandfathered in or some rosters are grandfathered in uh, versus, you know, you do teams get like a, a certain amount, like a, a you know, like say like, like just if, uh, you know, for example, they have like a players reach free agency at the age of 28 and a team is loaded of 27 year olds who aren't expected to reach free agency for three years. Do they at least get two years of a free agent, like players who are 26 have to be 28, like win by two effectively. Like, is it a case where like they get grandfathered in a little bit to where uh, teams get to plan around it? Or does everybody reach free agency a year from now and, and players weren't, or teams weren't planning for that? If that's the case, do, do contracts like Jimenez and Robert and Mancata, like all these cost controlled club option contracts become more valuable? Like that's, that's one thing I'm really fascinated about. And, uh, an argument can be made that that like those deals, even if they are, you know, more costly as they go on because salaries go up, like are those going to become more valuable in a new CBA where age-based free agency perhaps is a thing? Like that's that's one thing I'm kind of looking forward to and wondering if people will pitch that in their trades if they do trade from the 26-man roster to fill a different need on the 26-man roster. If if it is going to be age 28. Then Lucas Giolito is going to be a free agent after this season, Jim. Yeah, that's why I wonder if there would be like an age, like like kind of maybe a, a cushion for teams, like to say 28 or two years, whatever comes uh, last. <laughs> yeah, so for my shopping list, I think it's going to be second base. The White Sox, Rick Hahn punched that hole in the roster by trading Nick Magical for Craig Kimbrell. He's going to need to figure out something at second base. I I like Cesar Hernandez. I, I think there's an opportunity to upgrade at that position. Or you could bring Cesar Hernandez back if your other opportunities to upgrade fail. I, I don't know if Cesar Hernandez wants to come back to Chicago. There's a lot of factors playing in with the whole Cesar Hernandez thing. But second base, right field, of course. I have backup catcher. And you could find backup catchers for cheap. But I, you know, especially with their colleague, mm-hmm. Patrick Nolan, P. Knowles, grading the White Sox, and I mostly agree with him. Uh, I don't want to see a, oh, a Sebi Zavala versus Zach Collins battle in spring training. Who will be the backup catcher? Yes, Money Grandal. I don't want to see that again. 
because uh, I don't want to see them both having to fill in for six weeks if Grandal gets hurt again and isn't is on the injured list. I just don't think that's a good idea. So I have backup catcher on mine. And I think you're going to have to explore the starting pitching market and trying to find another starting pitcher if Carlos Rodon does leave the Chicago White Sox this offseason. Who are you going to bring in to replace? And that's where you can, you know, there's some interesting names out there, especially mm-hmm. on the veteran front. Justin Verlander in a White Sox uniform. Yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, I think Houston's going to go hard after Justin Verlander, though, to keep him in Houston. But Max Scherzer is a free agent. Mizzou. There you go. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is going to be a free agent. Uh, There's a lot of veteran guys, uh, marquee names that are going to be free agents on the starting pitching front that may only take a one or two year deal to bring them to the south side of Chicago. Uh, So I would keep that in mind, especially if you were one to think that Carlos Rodon or maybe you don't want to bring Carlos Rodon back uh, for the White Sox. DH, I I think I'm okay. See, now I'm like, I'm saying that I'm not thrilled with the backup catching battle between Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala, but I feel okay having Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets get some DH bats to at least start uh, 2021 and give them an opportunity uh, to hit their way. I should say 2022 hit their way on the 2022 roster. I I, I am okay with that. Uh, so those are the big items that I have, which is it's not a lengthy list, but when it comes to second base, and I think the player that we're going to see the most for free agent signings, these offseason plan projects, Jim is an old friend. We know him very well. And that's Marcus Simeon. Do you think Simeon, especially the way that he produced for the Toronto Blue Jays this season, do you think he could be a viable option for the White Sox next season? I think the way I would say it is that he's a more viable option than anybody else in his price range for the White Sox based on need, based on familiarity, based on just the relationship they have with his representation. Like I know Semyon liked to use the trade as motivation, like especially when he and Chris Bassett uh, were both in the same roster. And I think they just enjoyed developing together, like reaching that uh, next level uh, together and being on the same team and being able to uh, beat their former team in a postseason series. Like, I think they just enjoyed that. And I think, you know, it's a uh, harmless motivation. Like you may as well use everything you have at your disposal. If it makes sense to uh, help you perform your best, but I don't think there's actual any bad blood there. So I think when it comes to the you know, White Sox signing him, I think they would have at least some familiarity and comfort with the person and the work ethic they're getting and just how they feel like he'll age and deal with just their fits and their how he'll work to avoid age-based decline. Like, I think they would have comfort in knowing just the kind of person he is and how he would how he fit in their previous plans and how he'd fit in these plans. So that's why I feel like it could be the... Uh, one signing that's most makes sense in terms of that price range. But just, you know, when it comes to the White Sox and how they've bypassed different outfield solutions at sliding scales, like they didn't want to sign Bryce Harper and they didn't want to sign George Springer and George Springer cost half of what Bryce Harper cost in terms of total commitments. And they still weren't interested. I just think, think that like, if it's Zach Wheeler and 520, 525, and, and that was as high as they were willing to go, like, 
That's as high as we know they're going to spend. I wouldn't trust the White Sox to go much further than that, especially since Springer costs six and one fifty, and maybe they could have gotten him from six and one forty because I think that Toronto had a bit of a tax to lure him to Toronto in their uncertain situation in uh, 2021. So that's why I feel like Semyon probably makes more than that. But if they were to go above that, if the White Sox were to go above that range, knowing him and having the comfort of just drafting him and seeing what he's been like would be maybe what gets them to spend that much money. Yeah, there's going to be so much attention on the shortstop class, right? You've got Carlos Correa, who's a free agent. You have Corey Seager, who is a free agent. Uh, you mentioned Simeon, who is a free agent and may want to go back to shortstop after playing at second base with the Blue Jays. Trevor Story, who didn't get traded at the deadline, uh, is a free agent. Javier Baez is a free agent. I know we just chimed on Simeon, but I think we may see offseason plan projects that go after some of these guys and then try to convince everyone that they'll move over to second base. I don't see that happening. What are your thoughts on an idea of, let's say, the White Sox do sign one of these shortstops? And they moved Tim Anderson to second base. Do you think that could be a viable idea? I think theoretically, yes. And and as we've seen, like with Semyon moving over and A-Rod moved from shortstop when he came, like just that was a case where Jeter didn't move uh, and he probably should have. But just we've seen players move when the there's enough incentive to. And so whether that's, you know, Anderson did play like the best shortstop of his career. I will say that. Like he uh, did his best just the best job in terms of converting plays, not uh, avoiding errors, avoiding the you know, frustrating miscues. Like he avoided that. So I think he's got that going for him, but it comes like defensive quality and just having that player play shortstop. I wonder if that, say if Semyon gets the money he wants, I think he might be fine with playing second base. That's why I think like he also is more realistic than like say Carlos Correa who can dictate his terms in terms of where he wants to go. And I think there are enough shortstop starved teams to where like he can get his money and play his position. But when it comes like the second or third choice, uh, if the money's there, they might be fine with second base. So I think, you know, it could be the case where I wouldn't mind seeing Anderson play other positions just because that's a case where I just like the flexibility. Like we see a lot of good teams do that moving players around because it's good to have the uh, flexibility. Like I wish that Yohan Mankata still occasionally, uh, you know, moonlighted at uh, second base just to have that option if the need arose, but he appears to be committed to third. So I think that's the case where I don't see a problem with it. We haven't seen Anderson play anywhere else. So there is a bit of risk in just understanding whether second base is bad for him the way that Alexei Ramirez or Alexei Ramirez moved from uh, uh, you know he was bad at second base but great at shortstop like there's a case where just some guys might not be better at it so that would be a a case where there would be some negotiations or learning about uh, who's capable of what and who reacts to what but when it comes to winning and I think Anderson's pretty uh, hell-bent on winning, um, I think that goes a long way, especially if you're bringing in somebody who's won or who's who's beaten you the way that like Correa has beaten them and the way Semyon has beaten them. Like I think there is a case where like uh, if you can't beat them, have them join you. And then finally, Jim, what is one piece of advice, especially for those that have maybe never participated in an off-season plan project? And this is their first time doing so on SoxMachine.com. What is one 
piece of advice you would give to everyone that would give them what we, again, this is very subjective, but give them a good off-season plan? Well, I would say one is to make it readable. <laughs> Can you just uh, pay attention to formatting and just, you know, um, that goes a long way in terms of just having people read it. If it's broken up into sensible paragraphs and spaced out well and just very easy on the eyes, like people will be able to uh, peruse it and, and they'll look at it and, and if it's easy to read, they'll read further into it. So I think I recommend just to take a little time to make sure it's formatted and, and readable the way you'd want to read it. Beyond that, I would say don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid of criticism. Don't be afraid of um, having a trade idea that you, you didn't pay enough for, or having a contract that comes in too low. I mean, try to you know make informed guesses in terms of how much a player will make or how much a player will cost in terms of uh, trading for him. Like, I think when it comes to trades, if you really love it, it, you probably traded too little. Same thing with like free agent signings. If it doesn't hurt enough, or if you're kind of iffy on it, then you might want to up the money a bit. But when it comes to just the the idea and, and you really like it, I would say be fearless because I think when it comes to plans, like some plans are not good or not cohesive or they don't all come together, but there might be one really good idea people like. And when it comes to, you know, at the end of the, uh, the off-season plan project, I like looking through the spreadsheet and just going position by position. Like I'll do a roundup of second base ideas and a roundup of right field ideas and, you know, extra pitching and relievers, so forth. Like you may go through the trade targets and people might say like, I really like that idea. I really like that you traded for so-and-so. And you know, people may not remember that you also just had a payroll of 210 million <laughs> or, and, and that you uh, traded for Mike Trout by giving up um, Jose Ruiz. <laughs> but uh, People might remember that, oh, you, you thought of this guy from, uh, the Pirates or the Rockies or this uh, blocked prospect from another team. And he really fits what the White Sox are doing. I like that guy. Like, that's really what we're looking for here is the widest variety of ideas, just crowdsourcing different solutions. And uh, the more people go into a an off-season plan project fearlessly and not worried so much about what others might say, the wider variety of good ideas you get. Um, so that's, that's the advice I'd give you is don't be afraid of criticism. If you really like an idea, bring it. Well, we look forward to everyone's off-season plans. Again, it's always a very fun time on SoxMachine.com. As Jim said, have fun with it. And after listening to this episode, if you're interested in participating, go to SoxMachine.com. The format is there. You're going to copy and paste it. You're going to go create your own post and they will be published on SoxMachine.com and you get an opportunity to get your work out there and you'll definitely get comments um, from fellow posters as well. Those letting you know if you had a good idea, (laughs) you'll definitely know if you have a bad idea. That's what makes this fun. It just keeps the conversation. If we keep the conversation civil, uh, (laughs) then... (laughs) Constructive... Here's where I'll urge constructive criticism for people who are... Because this is also a great uh, opportunity to build the Sox Machine community. Like a lot of people who join the Sox Machine community get their start here. Uh, that's where they first, uh, you know, just bring an idea. That's when they you know, go into the comments to defend ideas. And then they just start talking to other people's ideas. And then they become part of the community. So uh, this is a good way for uh, people to join Sox Machine. And so it's always good to uh, criticize constructively. Like say, 
Try not to say that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> say like, oh, you're going to have to up the price or that's not going to happen. You know, it's fair to say that's not going to happen, but just, uh, just, you know, when it, when it comes to people just getting involved, just remember that, uh, you know, barriers for entry, <laughs> try to keep the barrier for entry low and, and, uh, and we all grow together. And if you are looking for resources to help you as far as with money and salaries and budgets, et cetera, et cetera, SpotTrack.com is a great resource because there you can see as far as position-based salaries going to 2022. So if you hear that Carlos Correa wants to be the highest paid shortstop and you don't know what that salary is, you can go to SpotTrack.com. You could find it there. Cots Contracts as well is a fantastic resource. I always go to Cots, uh, which is part of baseball prospectus and, and get the salary information from the White Sox. So I don't miss anything when working out the budget. It's going to be a blast everyone. And of course, thank you guys so much for participating uh, as that will do it for this special edition of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Good luck with your off-season plan projects. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you could support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. For example, P.O. Sox mailbags that Jim's knocking out every single week now, writing up and answering your questions on SoxMachine.com. Our Patreon supporters also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity at any at any of our new Sox Machine swag. So if you enjoy our work and you want more, go to patreon.com slash Sox Machine and sign up today. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire podcast network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. You can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And thanks for listening to this special edition of the Sox Machine podcast. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.